Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 9 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on December 1st, 2019. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and in this episode we'll continue our discussion on the impacts of VR to Project Scarlet. We'll examine the importance of rumors in the gaming-verse, and then take a look at just how video game endings might impact the way we perceive a gaming franchise, and what it could mean for its potential sequels going forward. Now, folks, I can think of no better place to start amidst the myriad of topics to discuss this week than continuing our conversation on VR. Now, if you remember in Episode 8 of XEP, I suggested that Project Scarlet could kind of launch with VR capability, the idea that you could plug in a headset or connect a headset to it and then have VR capability pretty much out the gate. And I stood by that prediction, and I do stand by it still, because I noticed the cozying up of, of, of Xbox and Steam in recent months, I suppose, and also the idea that you would have more market penetration by way of the console space if you were a VR-specific environment. And this was kind of capitalized on by the announcement of Half-Life Alex and what that meant for the VR space, as it is VR-specific, but not necessarily headset-specific. Now, not too long after I made that prediction, it came out that Phil Spencer had a response to this, and there was a quote that kind of made the rounds in the gaming verse that generated some, I would argue, vitriolic comments and, and responses that, that might have been a bit too inflammatory and perhaps even exaggerated in just what their effect might mean. So let's take a look at the specific quote that was made and then look at how we should be appropriately examining this, this, this idea going forward. Quote, I have some issues with VR, Spencer said. It's isolating, and I think of games as a communal kind of together experience. We're responding, responding to what our customers are asking for, and nobody's asking for VR, end quote. Now, Spencer did go on to make clear that he was not trying to demean the work that people are doing in VR, and that he might have been taking a bit out of context, but let's look at what he meant by that. When he suggested that VR is an isolating experience, and gaming is typically a communal kind of experience, I understand what he means in this particular case, because when you do kind of pop on a headset, you're cutting yourself off from the outside world. You can't look about the room or whatnot. There are ways to get around this, of course, by way of cameras and microphones. We've seen gaming do that a number of times. But I do understand what he means. The preparation to enter a VR world can be a bit different than picking up your phone for mobile, picking up your Switch for mm, handheld, and then even picking up a controller for console, and then somewhere in there is Project X Cloud and the like. But I understand what he means in that case. Now, to go further, when he suggests that nobody is asking for VR, I think we need to look at a couple different spaces for what they mean. Microsoft has been in a unique position this generation in that they recovered their business from a pretty disastrous Xbox One launch and something we've talked about on this show before. In that 2013, that was a system that nobody was asking for. It offered plenty of things at poor price points and poor messaging that nobody was indeed asking for. And even though many of those technologies made their way to Gamingverse later on, it didn't quite... It didn't quite land with gamers, and as such, PlayStation jumped out to a 2-to-1 lead, and that was 
pretty much because of software, I would argue. And so Microsoft, in quickly addressing its hardware issues with that ugly launch system, then and now recently has begun addressing its software issues in preparation for Scarlet's generation. The idea that, all right, we need studios to make great software experiences because that is the biggest gap between the two uh, major competitor systems right now with PlayStation. They've got software. They're, they're a weaker system the Xbox One X is stronger, and that doesn't seem to matter. They they fell behind in, in unit sales largely due to the software, so Microsoft is addressing that. When they argue that no one is asking for VR, I think we, there are some exaggerant responses to this and people that are looking to start a conversation that, that will end in a fight between different fanboy-isms. And I often urge people, and I try to stress this myself, that it is great to be a fan of a product, a brand, an idea. But it, to be a fanboy or to defend blindly is is silly, and you have to be a bit more analytical in your approach. I don't enjoy the conversations of PlayStation's better, Xbox is better, Switch is better, this thing's better, this thing's worse. Death Stranding gets this Metacritic rating, thus it's better than this game. Days Gone ruined it, Crackdown ruined it. I don't enjoy those conversations because that's not what fans do. Fans tend to celebrate things they enjoy versus putting down other things. And I think that's the big difference between fanboys and fans is that the, the fanboyism approach can can mean demeaning something that you don't like or something that's not for you and I don't enjoy that particular conversation but to get back to the quote at hand the idea that nobody's asking for it I understand what is meant by this statement even if perhaps it's poorly worded or poorly messaged when you are the leader of a multi-billion dollar industry or a leader in the multi-billion dollar industry I should say when you look at Xbox Connect there's a great a great examination here great parallel to this Xbox Connect on the 360 sold roughly 10 million units, perhaps more, but it could be more indeed. But that was considered a failure, and most gamers regard the Xbox Connect as a pretty silly endeavor, uh, trying to capitalize on the Wii success with motion control and pretty silly games that kind of came with it. I mean, there were a couple cool ones, and it was fun as a gimmick. X you know, Connect Adventures was was neat. But it wasn't necessarily something that was going to sell gangbusters for the hardcore audience. But it sold 10 million units, and that's nothing to slouch at. PS VR, by comparison, has sold roughly 4.5, 5 million. Maybe there's there's 5 or 6 million VR units total outside of PS VR together in that space. And even then, how many people are going to buy your one specific game? It could be a bit frustrating. So I understand the comparison there. PS VR is considered a success at 4.2 whereas Connect is considered a failure at 10 million, and that's where you go down to the idea that unit sales are not necessarily your only barometer for success. Profit made, mindshare, uh, the idea of, of, of how many people are invested in the technology and how much money you're putting in to build something for the future, all of those factors go into it. So the idea and the statement that nobody's asking for, you, for VR is a bit foolish, but I don't think that's what he meant per se. It's just a simple market share. If Xbox first addressed its hardware issue, and then began to kind of capitalize and improve with the Xbox One S and then X and then the different uh, adaptive controllers that kind of came to market with the Elite. As they, they address their hardware issues and they move on, next up is software. VR is not a priority. It doesn't need to be a priority right away. That's the initial response that I get from it. They are looking at, at things they can tick off their list as priorities to attack and in moving into next gen that they can understandably go go through. If they were to create a VR division, people would then question, well, why aren't you focusing on games because games was your problem in the Xbox One generation? And that's an understandable concern, and I too would, would have that same concern. I would be wondering, well, how many people are going to purchase your Project Scarlet your VR headset to go with it, and then specifically that one game that was created to sell that. How many people are going to invest in it and you consider it a failure or success? If 10 million is a failure, 
is, is 4.2 a success? And then how many are you trying to sell on your Xbox verse? There's a lot of questions that come up with it. So I do appreciate the idea that Xbox itself, the Xbox team is focusing on games right now and not necessarily VR, which is perhaps more a niche market. The idea of letting PSVR continue its success and continue its growth with it with its generations of PSVR, letting Oculus and the Index and, and um, the HTC Vive move through the VR space and kind of bring that technology to more consumers, I think that's an important thing. And I'm glad to see that Xbox is recognizing its strengths, its weaknesses, where it is weaker, and trying to fix and patch holes in that particular ship before they're trying to build something completely new. I'm addressing a question that came in from Garrett Bland. He says, are you afflicted on Phil Spencer's response about the lack of development in VR on Xbox? If the VR market takes off, will Microsoft be behind the game? And Todd Oxtra adds on to that, saying, what if Scarlet Port brings your own headset? Uh, and the VR store comes down to Xbox so Xbox can, can get a cut. No need for another headset on the market. Now, what Garrett's asking, I think I've partially answered thus far, but I need to be more clear. Uh, he says, if VR, the VR market takes off, will Microsoft be behind the game? And Garrett, I don't necessarily think so if, as Todd suggests, VR does come to Xbox and it's simply a matter of connecting your unit and they've got kind of a UI UX in place to allow VR to simply work on your system. If the Scarlet and PS5 are as strong as projections are suggesting they indeed are, and we'll get to rumors a bit later and what rumors mean for the gaming verse, but if they are meant to be as, as powerful as they are, if they're 10 teraflops or better, the idea that they could handle VR doesn't seem to be strange to me. It seems like, okay, you've got a good computer that's capable of doing that in an Xbox. Even your Xbox One X was initially suggested that it could handle VR. If indeed we see that, that come to Garlet, plopping any, any unit on or making it adaptive to any particular unit, the Vive, the Index, I think that's a good thing. And, and then you bring that store to, to, to consumers, you bring, bring VR to more people that way because there's more versatility. You don't necessarily need a super powerful PC. Maybe you can optimize by having a Scarlet, optimize by having a PS5. My idea, my thought is that yes, if the VR market takes off, Microsoft could quickly uh, turn heel and allow other VR units to work on it, but they don't need to be the ones making and operating with that. They've got Windows Mixed Reality to lukewarm responses, and those exist in other industries more prominently. You see them in the medical industry, the interior design industry. That's where VR and mixed reality, augmented reality, which VR and AR are very different. But that's where you see those things taking off. Gaming, not necessarily one of them because of the niche market that it creates. So I would like to see Microsoft build something into the UX, the UI, that allows uh, different, you know, Vive, Index, and, and so on to just bring their platforms to the Xbox. Now, I mentioned PS5 and Xbox Scarlet and how many teraflops they might have going forward and what that could mean for next gen. And this is where I want to bring up a couple different topics. The, the major thesis in this is to examine what rumors and speculation mean for the gaming person. How often should content creators, should we, should I, should consumers worry and concern themselves with rumors and speculation? Just how important are they to the gaming industry? And I think that comes down to how much gamers are willing to react to certain news, how much they're willing to accept that speculation can often be wrong, rumors can often be wrong. And we look at a couple different examples of this. Fable 4, that has been often rumored about, rumored about for years at this point. Metroid Prime 4, 
talked about, talked about, talked about, never showed up, never showed up, then it did. Did gamers bring that into fruition by way of their discussions? Is Fable 4 going to be coming to, to Xbox Scarlet at launch? or and, and was that a product of rumors? Or was that a product of there was actual development going on and things leaked? Arkham Legacy, the Court of Owls series, that game has been rumored to be at the Game Awards this year, but it was rumored to be there last year. It was rumored to be at E3. Continuous rumors and speculation. How damaging are they for the brand? If indeed we look at Half-Life, once again, Half-Life 3 rumored, Half-Life 3 rumored. Now it's Half-Life Alex, allowing them to sidestep the pressures of a third iteration and then just create something in that world so that the next game they create could be Half-Life 3 without the what is it going to be? How epic could it be? Halo 6, Halo Infinite. How, how much is there, how much pressure is there to create something new? How much was there a rumor that it was a complete redesign? Is there speculation that it could be the God of War of the Halo-verse? Are these conversations damaging? I really have a hard time evaluating how important they are going forward and how important they are to the crafting and creation of new games. Are developers listening to gamers when they, they speculate and what they want, or is that ship already sailed in many cases and they've just got their heads down you know, locking themselves out to, to what's going on i don't know i i don't know what the end-all be-all thesis of that would be but i've, I've seen rumors and, and discussion about the playstation 5 and its development kit that v looking thing that's shown up for a number of different places in reset era and other should gamers concern themselves with this no no dev kits are going to go out they're going to change finalized technology versus you know firmware hardware software what what all those mean it's it's a fun activity it's a fun exercise for content creators to to create sometimes inflammatory statements or clickbaity headlines can can take the day during a slow news week but it, it's not really a worthwhile endeavor to consistently go back to the same discussion points and i take that with a bit of irony in that i too am a content creator and here i am discussing it and looking at it so there's a bit of of humor in it what i would encourage people to do is they look at the rumor for their next big game the rumor for the game they want so badly, Mother 3, whether it's, you know, Arkham Legacy, a game that I'm really hoping is actually announced. Take it with a grain of salt every time you hear it. Don't invest too much into it. And then once you see it, once you hear it, once there's some tactile thing that we can put our hands on or put our eyes on, then perhaps allow yourself to indulge in the what-if scenarios. But uh, it's, it can be a damning exercise if you're not careful. With that news, let's speculate on what the Game Awards are going to have. Do we have any predictions for what the Game Awards will bring? I believe the Game Awards in the second week of, of December, late in the second week of December. Now we'll, we'll see some announcements, I'm sure. We'll see who takes the cake in different award scenarios. We'll see new games brought to the eyes of gamers. What do we expect to see? Arkham Legacy? Will it be there? Goodness, I hope so. Will we see any new Xbox news? I don't think so. I don't think we'll see any new exclusives. If we do, it might be a great time. I know Gears Tactics will be there, but that's not new. Is this a good time for Fable 4 to show up? Maybe, but given that we just had EXO 2019 where they could have isolated the news market and isolated their own messaging, is it worthwhile to bring an exclusive game to the Game Awards of the Fable 4 caliber. I don't know, really what I'm hoping to see are third-party games that are on multiple platforms that we can be excited about. Arkham Legacy being one that I would love to, to bring out, that Court of Owls scenario, something new in the Batman-verse, something new in the Star Wars universe, uh, something new in, in the Avengers world. Will we see something major that lots of people can enjoy? What I do hope is that for those major third-party franchises, they don't go exclusive. Third-party, yes, I don't want them to be exclusive to a particular console. And I found it frustrating that such a 
or beloved character like Spider-Man could be isolated to one console. That Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 could be isolated to one console. Whether they're appropriate or not, licensing, yada, 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 I don't like when, when over... I would hate to see Star Wars isolated to one console. We had that in the GameCube world where the Rogue Leader and the Rogue Squadron games were just on Nintendo platforms. I would love to see those be multi-platform and then allow your first-party IP to be those exclusive games. As far as the Game Awards go, I don't really have any strong predictions at this point. I mean, I would expect we see learn and learn more about Gears Tactics. I would expect in, that we see more on Halo Infinite. It's a good time to, see, to show that stuff and remind people that Xbox is continuously relevant going into next gen, that we are preparing for new things. But I think we can all agree that if we had seen Grounded from Obsidian at the Game Awards, we would have been a bit frustrated. So let's let's make sure we recognize the value of having announcements at EXO 2019, at a new fan fest or new inside Xbox where you can isolate the market in revealing Scarlet details versus, hey, Halo Infinite is indeed around versus, hey, you know, we are making a new Forza game, and even if it's a new name, you all knew uh, Forza was coming. So there's value in recognizing your audiences and where you want to have it, particularly in a Game Awards where it's pretty content light for Xbox. One question that often uh, gets asked towards the end of each month is what's coming to Games with Gold? What's coming to Game Pass? And we now know and the answer to that question. What's coming for Games with Gold in December? You're going to get Insane Robots, Jurassic World Evolution, Toy Story 3, and Castlevania Lords of Shadow, Mirror of Fate HD. Uh, every month we, we do this dance with PlayStation Plus and Games with Gold and how, how important, which one's better this month. And I, I, every time it happens, I think to myself... Games with Gold is less and less important in the world of Game Pass Ultimate and then it combines all your services. And so I don't even actually note very often, you know, what's Games with Gold. I don't look forward to the announcement so much as I'm just curious what free games I get each month because I have Ultimate by way of Game Pass, Gold, whatever else. I think it's a good list. I mean, Insane Robots is a unique card battler. Jurassic World Evolution, I think, is on a lot of people's radar. And then Toy Story 3, Castlevania, Lords of Shadow, cool. That's a good, diverse mix to have for your December slate. Nothing overly... Uh, hyper-violent for, for those families that are jumping in. Jurassic World Evolution, everyone knows the Jurassic World name. Uh, families know the Toy Story brand. Cool. Insane Robots, maybe you check it out. Castlevania, long since passed, but people know the Castlevania name. Cool. Fine. Good December slate. I think it's a, a worthwhile thing to, to look at and briefly and just be like, all right, neat. But I don't tend to note it anymore. Now I'm just like, all right, what am I getting in Ultimate this month? I just picked up Darksiders 3, something I'd been wanting to play for a while. It came into Game Pass. I took a stab at it, really enjoyed it. It's a very video game video game. It's a game that doesn't pretend to be more than it is. It's not trying to be a Red Dead level narrative. It's not trying to be a Jedi Fallen Order level of polish. It's not even trying to, to do anything other than just be a video game. And I tend to approach games like that pretty well. I, I enjoy that. And that's exactly what I want Game Pass for, to introduce me to video game-esque video games. Games that, that are just fun that I might have missed. Maybe they weren't worth the 60 bucks at launch, but I'm willing to check them out later. And we, we saw a few weeks ago on episode 6 or 7 that Game Pass subscribers spend more money on games and keep buying games regardless of whether or not they have access to it in Game Pass. And I wondered what the scenarios were for that. Was it by way of DLC? Was it by way of packaging? Was it What was the idea behind, hey, I have this in Game Pass, but I'm going to buy this game anyway. And then I went and did it. I was playing Darksiders 3, really enjoying myself for its kind of casual level of just arcadey fun, right? It's not, it's, again, this is not your, your AAA, you know, super highfalutin, 10 out of 10 Metacritic, God's gift to gaming. It's just a video game. 
And I liked that, and I was having fun with it. And so I went into the Black Friday sale, looked at the different additions and availability, and I saw how much the DLC was for the game that I that I would have enjoyed and would enjoy, and then how much was included with its packaging. And I ended up spending 40 bucks to get all three Darksiders games with all their DLCs remastered, definitive, whatever. And I was like, oh, cool. This is, this is what happened. This is what happened. I liked it in Game Pass. Even though I could have played the full game, I couldn't have had access to the DLC or the like. And then I dive in and I buy this whole package. And now I'm getting excited for Darksiders Genesis because I liked Darksiders Genesis when I played it at E3. And I was like, okay, cool. That's how they get you. That's how it is. And that's how it works. And that's what that's what Black Friday or the super sales can do. I mean, we had a couple people write in suggesting the different things they bought. I know my friend uh, Kyle Stevenson over at the Trophy Room, a, a PlayStation podcast, well worth your time. Uh, he ended up buying an Xbox One X. And diving into that world, congrats on that. You have so much that you can access now with Game Pass. It's a great thing. Jason C. wrote in. He, j- he jumped into NHL 20, but then also picked up the Xbox One Sat Edition. And as silly as that system is, during this Black Friday sale, it's appropriately priced. 150 bucks diving into the Xbox world. Jason, you got a whole slew of things available to you. And, uh, man, I can't, I can't wait to hear what it is you like about your Xbox One uh, that maybe you didn't have access to before, or maybe you're trying new games that you didn't have access to before, because Game Pass is a great window into that world. So congrats, man. I hope you I hope you enjoy it. Tons of gems in Game Pass. Check out Metro Exodus. Check out uh, Halo Wars if you're into, into RTS games. And then do yourself a favor, man. Play Gears 5. What a great story that is. I, I often think about games by way of their narrative. I prefer single-player experiences more often than not, man. Check out Gears 5. Good story there. And if you like it, go back and play the older Gears games. It's a, it's a great service for discovering games. Dead Island's in there. It's a perfect double-A game. Check that out, man. Garrett Bland, during his Black Friday haul, snagged Anthem, Control, and the RE2 Remake. Man, you are in for some gaming goodness right there. RE2 Remake is fantastic. I was warm on it when I first played it, and then hindsight through this year, more and more I'm like, you know what, that was a great video game. You're in for a good time there. Control, that's one of my must-play games of 2019. We'll be talking about our must-plays later on this this, uh, episode. But Control's a great game, not without its own bugs, uh, but so much goodness there, so much environmental storytelling worthwhile. And I saw a lot of people picking up Anthem, Garrett. I saw a lot of people checking out Anthem. It was five bucks at most places, I think seven bucks in some places, but you got like Spotify for a year or they had some pretty great stuff there. And I think with the, the benefit of hindsight, the removal of expectations, a lot of people will check out Anthem and find that there is some good gameplay there. There is a neat story there. It's just not what we all thought it was, and it did disappoint compared to what we liked. But I think you can get a good 20 hours of good, fun gameplay flying around the world and fighting monsters. That's a good time right there, and for 5 bucks, can't go wrong. Worst case, you're like, oh, cool. All right, I tried it out. Good soundtrack as well. Good soundtrack as well. Joel Falcon got Rainbow Six, NHL 20, Division 2. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, And he got himself a 2-terabyte external hard drive. Now, I'll tell you this, Joel. Division 2 is a great pickup. Great pickup. I couldn't speak to NHL 20. I know Jason and you both snagged that one. Uh, But I'm not much of a sports gamer. It's not really in my, my... interest level but division two man what a great game that is that really came and went i feel not enough conversation about the quality there because essentially what it was was everything people wanted in division one but in division two and then that that audience took it and ran and they they kind of removed themselves from conversation later on anthem kind of stole headlines apex stole headlines kind of in that window but man you're in for a good time that's a great third person shooter and and i recommend uh, anybody check out division two it's a good time for sure 
for sure. Now, one of the other things he picked up was a two terabyte external hard drive. Now, this is a question I have for a lot of you. How many of you enjoy having external hard drives or external storage? What's the amount of storage that you are comfortable with? We see the SAT edition come out with 500 gigs. We see Xbox One X's ship with a terabyte, two terabytes, and the like. I think I have a four terabyte external, and then I have an Xbox One X Gears edition, so I think there's one terabyte in there, so I have five total, and it serves me quite well. I keep it at about 50% full. Uh, I don't know why I feel the need to consistently clean out the storage if it's got plenty of room, but I do anyway. Going into this next gen, going into Project Scarlet, going into PS5, etc., what is it? The, what is the right amount of memory for them to include? I think two terabytes should be standard moving out. Like when we see Project Scarlet's retail edition announced and shown, I hope that it's got a two terabytes in there, building towards the future. Because 4K texture packs, man, those things, those things are heavy. Those things have a lot of different, or t- they take up a lot of space. I'd, I should say. So what's a standard going forward? 500 gigs can't be enough. One terabyte can't be enough. I mean, how many times can you fit Call of Duty on a hard drive? Four, maybe. I mean, I I don't know. So I I love that that Joel was able to pick up external hard drives, and I hope a lot of people got more memory storage kind of building for the future. So if indeed we are shortchanged on what's coming through into the next gen, you're able to access that. But there's something something great about having that, that extra storage and availability there. So good on you, man. Good on you. Good choices, guys. Great, great hauls for Black Friday. I saw a lot of people just writing in different ones, but I wanted to highlight those. Uh, what did I snag? I snagged the... Darksiders kind of collection, all three of them for 40 bucks, which was, you know, something for me I, I, I was diving into. Borderlands 3, I finally snagged that one. Borderlands 3, let's talk about that briefly. Now, this isn't my final thoughts. I've played the first few hours of it. Borderlands 3 is beautiful, and it's more Borderlands. End thought. That's kind of what we got right there. It's beautiful, and it's more Borderlands. If you enjoyed Borderlands 2... Borderlands 3 is more of that, and that's awesome. That's great. I didn't really get any major kicks in that the writing was upped to kind of uh, Tales from the Borderlands level, but I'm really enjoying the game. It just doesn't seem to be doing anything special to bring me in. And I think we've seen that complaint happen for a couple people. I just mentioned Division a few minutes ago. Gears 5, another one. It's more Division. It's more Gears. It's more this. It's more that. Well, Borderlands 3 is more Borderlands, and if you like that, rock on. Do it. Play it. That's that's great. I'm going to continue playing it through to its end game for sure. I know my buddy, uh, uh, real Kevin Butler, he's going to be playing with me and trying to power level me, which is, you know, that's weird to say on a podcast. But, uh, man, I'm excited to keep playing it, but I don't like get any, like, major thrills. I'm not, like, running into my room like, let's do it right now, Borderlands 3. But there's that game for me, perfect for the holidays. Perfect for the holidays. You know what? I got some time. Let's chill it and play with, ch- play with my buddies. Awesome. It's less competitive than, say, Modern Warfare. Less frustration than playing in a versus mode for a game. But you can sit down and play co-op with your friends. That's how you do it. Co-op is a special feeling, man. It's a special feeling to jump in. That's why I dig horde modes so much. You know, each game that has wave-based enemies, I like that. Just chilling, playing, chatting, uh, but not stressing. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that a lot. You know, something else I was thinking about, as we kind of enter into the doldrums of news, we kind of post EXO 2019, but working towards Game Awards, and then really kind of winding down news cycles, I was looking at video game endings. What finales to a story do you think are worthwhile? With Rise of Skywalker on the horizon, you know, how do you end good stories? And games are more intricate and can perhaps be more even involved than movie verses. Tell me some of your favorite games that end a franchise or end well. And we don't want to spoil any conversations here, but I thought the ending of Red Dead Redemption, the first one, a great ending to a video game. I thought it was really appropriately well handled. How do you end Arkham Asylum with the possibility of an Arkham City? Do you leave Easter eggs in but finalize your story? Did Arkham Knight end that verse well? You know, the ending of Borderlands 1 was pretty disappointing to me, but I really dug too. 
Uh, I saw articles coming out this past week that Final Fantasy's 15's ending was fantastic. Wouldn't know. Too many hours to get into. I finished playing Jedi Fallen Order, and I will not spoil a darn thing for you, but I will tell you that they ended the story in a way that I thought was very worthwhile. It made all that time feel good. A great way to end a narrative. But ending stories is difficult. You play a lot of games and watch a lot of movies or series, read a lot of books that that they don't end well. And that can taint the way you think about that particular franchise. It can taint the way you are looking towards a sequel. can look forward to, to what's coming next. I suppose my questions for you are, what are some of your favorite video games end- video game endings? Twitter.com slash insipidghost. Let me know. Write into insipidghost at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Favorite video game endings? Ah, oh, man. Jedi Fallen Order. I 1K'd that game. Loved it. Loved my time with it. I had a glitched collectible that then fixed itself, thank goodness. So I ended up getting the 1K, and all I'm doing is wanting more. That's a cool feeling when you want more of a story, want more of a game. Jedi Fallen Order, man. I really came around on that, and I'm so glad I did. Ah, man, it's it's cool. Once you have the benefit of hindsight and you remove yourself a bit, you kind of get more perspective on where it stands in your mindset, and I I really loved it, and I hope more people check it out. I know it's selling well. I want more people to continue checking it out. Great game there. Great game in Jedi Fallen Order Respawn, man. Whew, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. PlayStation Gamer is going to get to play Titanfall 2. For God's sakes, everyone, if you've not played Titanfall 2, what a great campaign. Mm, I love it. Before we get to our must-play list of 2019 and discuss how we're going to go about going through that, let's look at another question from Todd Oxtra, who writes it on Twitter, as you can too. And he says, How do you think this generation's games will be treated for next-gen? Do we get special remastered editions, or will everything get a scarlet patch? I tend to think of of publishers, they would rather double-dip and give you a shiny version that they can sell you again. Todd, that is a great question. Goodness gracious. We've seen a lot of different examples throughout this generation for what remasters or new additions could be. When you look at the beginning of this generation, you saw kind of up versions of things and people repackaging and reselling kind of the same game to you because the expectation was that there would be no more consoles. And so they were trying to quickly get games out for this one while they had time. Uh, and that's where you see the kind of that Darksiders Warmastered edition or... What was that Red Faction Remastered? And some of those dumber, silly, just like, okay, it's just an up-res or it plays on your new system. Terrible, terrible remasters like the Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2 remasters. Those were awful. Those were awful. But then you see some really incredible ones. Or if you, say, focus specifically in the Xbox community, that Enhanced for X. How many great games were Enhanced for X and you were just stunned by how beautiful they were? I know I was stunned by a number of those different just Enhanced for X games, and, and Microsoft was marketing that quite well. And it took a lot of pressure off of publishers. They don't need to remaster the game. If you just enhance it for X and we'll do it for you, then boom, you can keep selling that, keep making money on it, and you don't necessarily need to repackage it right away. Smart move. Smart move. Because we've seen it happen all the time from Nintendo doing it with uh, Mario All-Stars. We saw the Fable games get remastered. Uh, The Halo games were brought forward in Master Chief Collection. And, man, the Master Chief Collection has gone through some iterations. We're seeing Reach right on the horizon. So excited for Halo Reach. Man, I'll tell you what. December is looking good for, for Ghost right here. I'm going to get Halo Reach, the, the, the Master Chief Collection version that's up and, and improved. And to go back to the thought of remasters, Todd, I really feel like Microsoft and perhaps publishers in general are learning how to build their games to be up We're seeing them the console space mimic PCs more and more, and that's just essentially a slider. Bump it up, slide it up. So I would imagine we see something similar to Enhanced for X, and then when the time is right, they will repackage, or publishers will repackage something. You're like, all right, this is the 
the Xbox Scarlet version of I don't know more Darksiders is just on my mind, but you know maybe we see the Red Dead up upreses or or something like that. The Castlevania Collection upresed. So they'll do whatever they do. If there's going to be one universal map, but if this generation was any idea, you'll see some silly ones in the beginning that are packaged. But uh, I think the enhanced for X and then enhanced for Scarlet is the way to go going forward because it doesn't require as much work and you can just continue selling that product there. And then you get your Game of the Year editions. I mean, how many times have we seen a Game of the Year edition for a game that didn't win Game of the Year and it just includes DLC and then the like? Uh, who knows, man? Who knows? All I know is uh, if the trend continues, I don't mind rebuying games that I enjoy. I liked that I could have played a newer version of the Arkham games because I wanted those achievements again and I wanted a reason to play through it again, but I didn't spend money on a lot of them. There were a lot of them I just skipped because I'm like, yeah, I don't need this right now. Anyone have any favorite, you know, remastered or, or up-res, enhanced for X versions or, or games that stood out for you guys as favorites? Let me know for sure. Let me know what you're thinking. And now I want to talk about XEP's must-play awards for 2019. I have a list of games. It is, I think, seven or eight strong with some honorable mentions in there, bringing the number to 11. I have must-play games of 2019, games that Xbox gamers should absolutely check out, games that are super important for the Xbox gamer to have in order to understand what 2019 was in gaming. And of course, I have my own bias here because I enjoy narratives. I enjoy certain types of games more than others. So I have those awards ready to go. Adam Leonard did some great art for me. I'm going to send them out and share them on the next episode. And so you guys have a week. You have a week to, to write me and let me know what your favorite must-play games are. I know some of you already did it. I lost them in the ether. I'm so, so, so sorry. Uh, so if you could resend me those lists, sure, let me know. But let me know what your must-play games of 2019 are, with the only caveat being that it's come out in 2019 and it's available on an Xbox platform somewhere, somehow. Uh, I can tell you right now, I'll just give you an early insight, Control is absolutely one of them. I mentioned it earlier in the show. That is a must-play game for 2019 in order to understand the gaming-verse, the Xbox-verse, for this year. So what are your must-play games? It doesn't mean best. It doesn't mean favorite. It means what, what should gamers absolutely try out and play. What are your must-play games of 2019? Let me know because on the next episode, I will announce the winners that I have, the honorable mentions that I have, and any that you particularly might have as well. 2019, Xbox, that's your stipulation. There you go. All right, guys. That's essentially it. I know we had a, a sparse news week, really just a lot of questions without answers and conversations, but that is one of the best parts about the expansion pass, and XEP can just be that at times. That's something we're looking forward to. Uh, in the coming weeks, though, I do have some cool interviews lined up about some technologies that will be appropriate into the next gen that may not necessarily uh, be what you're thinking about. And then I've got a, a dev interview or two lined up going forward. I don't want to announce names just yet until we kind of do the thing and have it locked down, but uh, it looks like we'll have some pretty neat insight into the ID at Xbox space and just who we're talking to and when we're talking to them. Uh, we'll be bringing you some goodness during 2019's closure into December. Thank you so much for listening. I can't say that enough. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys taking the time to go rate it on your various platforms. Uh, this show is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, and a few of the other uh, services about the place. So thank you so much for taking the time there. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy playing some video games, and take care, everybody. Thank you.